Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders. In ancient times, the greatest man-made monuments and superstructures, such as the Great Pyramid of Giza or the fabulous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, were celebrated and visited as wonders of the world. Like seas, days of the week and deadly sins, there were always seven of them. A bit more recently, the Great Wall of China, the Taj Mahal and even the London sewage system have appeared on lists of modern or technological wonders. Other magnificent sevens salute awe-inspiring natural phenomena such as the Grand Canyon or the Great Barrier Reef. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your personal list? That's the question I ask my guests in this podcast, and the guest I'm asking today is the comedian Ed Byrne, who has been cracking gags, telling anecdotes, jokes and stories, and getting laughs for the best part of 30 years. Originally comes from the town of Swords, near Dublin, where presumably everyone has a sharp wit. Studied horticulture in Glasgow, but is now long settled in Essex. So an Englishman, Irishman and Scotsman all rolled into one. How appropriate. In addition to his stand-up comedy tours, Ed is to be found doing sit-down comedy on Mock the Week, QI, Would I Lie to You, and any number of other TV panel shows and other programmes. So, Ed, hi. Uh, having agreed to join me on this podcast, how did you set about identifying your seven wonders? Oh, well, I think we'll all agree that they slightly fizzle out towards the end. <laughs> the, list, the list was... was I, I started off with sort of life stuff and then I really started to drift into the pop cultural. All right. Uh, like, I listened to your one with Stephen Fry yes. where he talked about... Amber being a wonder because of it leading to the the development of electricity. Yeah, and it you know we're talking big ideas. He took it really as a way of doing seven mini lectures to yes, help with my education about a variety. <laughs> it, of it was highly educational <laughs> in a way that this podcast will entirely fail to be. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if that's the case. I would say there's your seven wonders, which I have advanced notice of. They are um, a slightly, I would say random, but they're an unusual collection of things I wasn't necessarily expecting. I think they're they're good conversation starters. Oh, excellent. Which, that's... let's say, for a podcast, <laughs> I think makes them good wonders. It's the ideal thing. So let's start with your first wonder. Do, do, you, do you know which order you, you, I'm expecting you to do them in? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I have that. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. I do. So what's your first wonder? So my, my first wonder, uh, I, I, w I, was, I was trying to pick one, but I've just decided to go for a quite general thing of just the advances we've made in outdoors equipment right of all kinds across the board the things the things you can buy to make the great outdoors more accessible right are themselves a wonder we've really managed to tame the wilderness in a way that uh, we've never have done before and there's a few things that are particularly notable in the, in their advancement like the spring loaded cam right which was uh, Invented by a guy called Ray Jardine, 
who's a really interesting character. He uh, he used to work for for, for in, in the aeronautics a- industry, and it's it's a it's a device that you use for for rock climbing. Yeah, well, I'm saying yes because I I have to admit I had to look up what a, a spring loaded cam was, but uh, so it well you you drive it into the rock so that it gives you a good purchase for your ropes and so forth. Yeah, yeah, you sort of squeeze it, and you, you when you squeeze it, it it becomes three sort of semicircle shaped grooved things that go into the rock, and then w- when you release it, it opens up again, yeah. and you attach yourself to a rope via rope to it. And then if you were to pull on that, it would cause it to expand, in, and so it grips the rock. Yeah. So it seems a quite a simple device when you when you look at it, but it was ingenious when it was invented, but it revolutionized rock right. climbing. So people now, like- I'm not a massive rock climber. I'm not being, yeah. I, I, I gave it a go, and I found I don't really have the head for it. <laughs> but I have to respect the fact that that simple device absolutely revolutionized the, the way people go about rock climbing. So when people, somebody like Hillary was climbing Everest or Mallory, all, all those early parties, they they were just, what, clinging onto the rocks, or did they already hammer sort of uh, big nails? Or you big hammer, well, the, the thing with Everest is you're using, you're using ice... Uh, Ice climbing is a is and snow climbing is a is a, is a separate thing where you you all right you, you're digging in anyway and yeah but you even those things when you go into a an outdoor shop the selection of yeah. ice axes they're like medieval weapons of war yeah and you know with your crampon and your ice axe you can just climb up a sheer ice yeah. wall by just digging into it well, or chalk wall and and I don't know there's something very tactile about them they're very uh, I, I guess in the same way that people who are into guns, you know, enjoy the, the the feel of them. These are these are peacetime instruments that have just the same sort of feeling when you hold them. Of I could climb anything <laughs> with these. Yeah. So if you go up a mountain now, not necessarily an ice uh, ridge, but uh, things with rocks in it, are they now completely covered in these things that previous people have? hammered in or, or do you take them down when you, you take when them you, down yeah yeah there's certain areas where people have left gear in on on certain routes mainly a lot of the time on on walking routes across the alps and places like that there are ladders bolted to some walls and there's yeah. there's arguments as to whether or not they should be there or not yeah. and whether or not it ruins the 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 wildness of the place but they're there for something like the oat route where you can walk all the way from chamonix in France to Zermatt in Switzerland for over 10 days in order to make that walk accessible there's they have to just put a ladder on like three walls for you to be able to get up and over so I I, I, I can live with this but generally no you 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 go in with at least two people and you pitch and one person is below you with a rope and you you go up for you you lead and you put all your gear in the wall and then you clamp yourself in and then they climb up and then they pick all the gear out as they're going up so you know you don't have to leave it all there. So this is outdoors equipment generally, but you've picked out the spring-loaded cam, spring-loaded cam, uh, Gore-Tex or high vent. These are both, yeah, you know, they're they're other breathable waterproofs are available. But th- that that I couldn't tell you exactly what year these were invented and perfected. I could. But, I said 1969 Gore-Tex. There you go. Was a, I, 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 I had to look that up, but uh, and I think it was one of those accidental inventions. And I, I was surprised how recent that is, because I, yeah. I, I you know, thought Gore-Tex has been around for a hundred years, but but no, it's all post, you know, coming up with you know nylon and all those uh, 
poly, uh, poly, polythenes and all that kind of thing. But it happens to be nice and breathable. Yeah, it's just, basically it's a fabric that somehow water, a water droplet I think is smaller than a than a than an air vapor. Mm. It's larger than than yeah. an air vapor um, molecule, and so air vapor can can escape, whereas water runs off it. You evidently must spend quite a lot of time in the great outdoors, if not mountaineering, rock climbing a bit, walking over hillsides. I do, but do you know where I I. I mean, I love being on a mountain. I absolutely love it. And I love being in a, in a tent in the outdoors. But I also love being in an outdoors shop, yes. <laughs> honestly, and being surrounded by all that gear. And yeah. just, and you just want to, oh, I'm getting, I want to get, I want to get that. Because it, as I say, the, all the stuff that you can get that just makes the outdoors more accessible. And 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 just suddenly you feel like anything is possible. You realize, you, you know, you used to be if you wanted to cook a meal, yeah, away from home. Yeah, Primuses were these great big things, and you need the gas, and you got to pump it, and all this kind of thing. And now something that's that's literally lighter than the food you're going to eat yeah. can create a flame. The ability to backpack, what they call the ultralight backpacking, which again, Ray Jardine is, was a pioneer of, of just shaving weight off everything. Yeah. Um, you feel like James Bond. <laughs> so do you do you buy a lot of this stuff? Is this the equivalent that some people have their kitchens are full of bits of equipment which they buy and then it's the back of a cupboard and they never use it? Have you got all these things, uh, a, a special primer stove that you can put into a matchbox, Gore-Tex under covering? Yes. And, and are they ever used, never used, or you're doing it the whole time? I have a few things that I've never used. Mm. I have a, I have a life straw, which is, um, which is a thing that you can basically, you can just fill your water bottle with water from anywhere. Yeah. You, from a, from a stream with a dead cow in it. Yes. And you stick this straw in it and you suck through the straw and it just filters out all the nastiness. Oh, that's handy. So you can, yeah. get, I haven't really used it because I could just, Bring a bottle of water. water. <laughs> yeah, but you, you, if you you could run out of water, I can see you know, exactly tramping across exactly. the desert in Indiana if you happen to do that. I bought yeah. I bought something once and I've still got it. I've never used it, which is a sort of metal container, and uh, I think water goes on the outside bit, and you put twigs in the inside bit, and you start a little mm -hmm. fire, and that'll boil your water for your tea in the middle of nowhere. But I have never chosen to take it with me in any, yes. any place but uh, jolly jolly handy you can get little multi-fuel stoves now that you can you can put not only can you put twigs in them and use them to heat you can actually then plug a usb cord into them and the heat is 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 turned into electricity and you can charge oh, your wow. devices oh i knew we've sold that one out of a fire yeah. you make with twigs yeah. i mean how awesome is that? And that is some people are going. Some yeah. people are listening, going. That is not awesome at all. That is that goes against my any idea I had of going into the outdoors and trying to disconnect. It's a work. You don't have to charge your phone. You could charge your GPS device. Yeah, you want to charge it when you're stuck and you've broken your leg. You want to be able to call somebody. That's exactly that's vital. You scrabbling on the floor to light a fire to charge it. Yeah, I, I, on the list I was given from you, uh, you had the she we on. Oh, the, the she we. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, do you? Uh, have I don't much use call one personally. 
But this this is a device to allow women more easily to have a wee, a uh, bit, exactly. bit more like a man would do. And that, this is a wonder of the world as far as you're concerned. It allows a woman to wee standing up without having to remove all of her, mm. you know, because if you're in the cold particularly, you know, yeah. having to take down your, your especially if you're in a one piece, yeah. it's just really inconvenient. <laughs> and I just, and it, 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 what I love about it is that it suggests you practice with it in the shower first. Right. Because well, <laughs> it just, you just, you get it in there and it's, it, you know, it's, a, it's an instrument that's just designed to just, I bought one for my wife. I'm, I, she, I, that's she, a good she sentence never used to put it. in there. Yeah. She, she, she never <laughs> used it, but it was the hit of Christmas that year because everybody thought it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. I'm sure. I, I was just worrying about you hanging around these outdoor shops <laughs> in the she-wee department. <laughs> you, 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 people are much more tolerant of that sort of thing these days. But uh, um, but anyway, I think you slightly cheated with this first one, whether you've got lots of things as your wonders of the world. I mean, I don't know if you ever would invent something like this or if you were entrepreneurial, would you like to sort of buy little gadgets, uh, patents and things and, and market them. Would you like to go on, on that side of things? Yeah, I don't really have the um, have, have the imagination. I, I, and certainly not for an outdoors. Uh, I have, there's nothing I have. The only invention I ever came up with that I thought would work mm. would be um, a sleeping pill that then woke you up eight hours later. All right. So you can take a sleeping pill, but inside it's like in the centre, almost like a locket, or, yeah. you know, <laughs> like a chewy centre was... Was a, a sort of some micro coated beads of caffeine that yeah. didn't hit you, that didn't hit your bloodstream until eight hours after you take it. I think that, that sounds. Wouldn't good. that work? Yeah, I would think. Why so. is no? Why is that not on the market? I think an astronaut or somebody could probably do with that, couldn't they? They could take a pill when they need to get their eight hours sleep, and they're waking them up. Yeah, I think yeah. There's, there's a fortune to be made there. Well, I've just given it away to <laughs> yes, some, you, some entrepreneurial podcast listener. Yes, you shouldn't really talk about your inventions. And- <laughs> We've got a hint there of your um, outdoor sort of hobby activity, I suppose, or your pastime activity. But the next one, I assume, relates a bit more to your life as a stand-up comedian. Yes, yes. My next one is, um, I'm, I'm using the slightly broader term, modern means of amplification. Yeah. Essentially microphones. Yes. I love a gadget anyway. Mm. And uh, microphones are, without a microphone, I couldn't really do what I do to the way that I do it. No. Well, you couldn't do this podcast for... for, We'd we'd be stuffed. Yes. You and I are not even in the same town. I know, it's extraordinary. And trying to do this with tin can and string would would not work. But you're getting to something more sensible to say there, and I've foolishly interrupted. (laughs) Because so... The stand-up comedians, such as they were 150 yeah. years ago, uh, a bit like really opera singers, they, they had to have big lungs and big delivery and presumably not always that subtle in the sort of material they did. Yeah, and and that is the thing. The manufacture and the design and development of microphones have changed art for the better. Mm. And if that's not too pretentious a thing to say, I mean, I love I love a microphone in a stand anyway because there's something about that that just says stand-up comedian. You yes. know what I mean? In the same sure. way that microphones on a lectern say speech. Yeah, there's something about and 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 there's that there's that old sort of BBC microphone that just says radio broadcast. Yeah, there's something about that single mic in a stand. Even though on this on the tour I'm doing now, I I use a, a face mic. Most of the time, I would use the, uh, the mic in the sand. And there's something iconically 
just about stand in a way that you just that singers don't even use them to the same extent. Yeah, you know, and and I, and I love it because I I love stand up and I love the idea that 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 microphone with the with a corded mic. It's like so many comedy clubs just use that as as a logo. Yeah, and and there's something as well about when you do a tour and and on the stage just when the audiences are filing in and there's just like a blue light on the stage and there's just that microphone in a stand mm. and maybe a stool that you rest your drink on. And that just says, that's the set. That's stand-up comedy is happening tonight. So yeah. I love I love the iconography of a microphone in a stand. And do you like the, the power that it gives you over the audience? A lot of, you know, I don't know how my how often people would heckle you, but, you know, the, the, the sort of comedian that provokes a lot of heckling has always got that power that his voice or her voice is louder than the person shouting from the back of the room. Is that what appeals to you or is it the subtlety that you can bring to what you're doing because the microphone is is augmenting your words? It certainly helps to always be louder. And I think it also just establishes, it's like there is a sort of, and it's a, it, it is a thing that you kind of, will say to a heckler if they're persistent is yeah. dude there's a reason i have a microphone and you don't yeah. you know that's it it is a kind of the lights are all pointed this way you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was um brendan burns used to have a, a heckle put down of there's a reason why the only time you get a microphone at work is when you need to call simon to do a price check <laughs> um which yes. now, I mean, even now, yeah. that, that was probably 20 years ago. Now we go, well, why, why are you ragging on essential workers? These the frontline <laughs> workers alone. What's wrong with working in a supermarket? Yeah, but it probably That's gets yeah. you through the moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you're, yeah. you're, you're probably in the middle of a tour in the sense that you, uh, did you start it before lockdown happened and yeah. you're um, c- carrying on? So has yeah. this been a nightmare? For, I mean, obviously it's been a nightmare for all sorts of people, uh, you know, getting diseases and losing loved ones, but for the, for the, entertainment industry in particular a stand-up comedian this has been mm. a, a real body blow it's been horrible yeah it really <laughs> has it's been a miserable 18 months um and and zoom gigs are all well and good but it's been very difficult to find a way to make those work for the very reason you pointed out before in that either you can't hear the audience at all yeah or they are just as loud as you <laughs> and and so that's a di- been a very difficult thing to to try and yeah. and balance. But I, it's yes, there's there's been a, there's a certain virtue in doing online gigs. Mm. It it, it makes gigs very accessible to people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to go to gigs. Yeah. It's also sometimes nice to be able to do a gig without having to leave your house or put trousers on. Yes, but there is something about the immediacy and the feedback of an audience right there in front of you that. Uh, yeah, that, that nothing, and, and even like drive-in gigs where people are honking their horns and flashing yeah. their lights to let you know they're enjoying it. Yeah. I keep my, the, the analogy I give is that every, everybody uh, they're just going, well, this will have to do. Both the comedian and the audience are just going, well, this is, and it's a bit like it's a bit like wanting a Mars bar and all you've got is cooking chocolate. Yeah, like, well, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll have that then. <laughs> it's it's one in the morning. There's nothing else yeah. I can find. But the the, the thing about, about 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 how, as I say, like microphones have changed the nature of performance. In that it used to be, in, in if you went to see a play and you were near the back, the you know the the actors had to really project, and it still is, and they still do that, you know, in that, in that old fashioned way, in 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 some arenas, but. The ability now to have microphones at the front of the stage or have microphones hidden on the person yeah. allows for 
actors to be that bit more naturalistic. Yes. You know, they don't have to be yelling. My, I always remember my mother used to always hate uh, the Lucille Ball show. She always hated I Love Lucy. Yeah. Because she'd just go, they're always yelling at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and they would, you watch it, they're just constantly shouting. Yes. Because they have to, because even though it was a TV studio, the fact that there's a, an audience in front of them, they still have to, even on a, on a TV show, still have to project yeah. in a way that you just don't have to anymore. Yeah. And I watched, um, or I, I listened to an interview that Guy Garvey from Elbow did. Yeah. And... It was an incredibly modest thing he said when it was put to him. They asked him what, to what he owed the success of the band Elbow because they were they'd become this big stadium band. Yeah, that made music that wasn't big stadium rock music. Like mm-hmm. it used to be that if you wanted to f- fill a stadium, you needed to be yeah. you know Foo Fighters or you know, yeah. Simple Minds. You need yeah. to make that big sound, that stadium rock, big light sound. shows, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said, what is it about a band like you that, that, that you know, that you've managed to break through in this way? And he said, oh, it's, it's the modern speaker arrays. Yeah. Like we, it never used to be. You can now, these enormous speaker arrays can just plant the sound and the, the, the delay so that it, it reaches the back at the same time and it's not echoing means that a, you can play a quiet song yeah. and have it fill a stadium. Yeah, I mean, I he, he it was a very modest exec because let's face it, they, they're they're a great band and that's why they're big. But yeah. the the fact that even he would say that that it it's changed how big a quiet band can be shows yeah. you how 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 what, what 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 a great thing it is. Well, Monty Python played with this in Life of Brian, of course, with the idea that something like the Sermon on the Mount or any of uh, great speeches yeah. done by Jesus or all number of historical figures who could actually hear them you know if you're yeah. you're addressing on the steps of somewhere on a hillside in galilee without a microphone it's no wonder people had different versions of uh, yeah. what, what the how beatitude. many people how many people did he feed with the loaves and the fishes again i think it's five thousand so five thousand. Yeah, that's I a mean, big crowd you'd settle for a five thousand crowd wouldn't you for a absolutely but i mean yeah. It could it be that by the time it got to the back of the crowd, the 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 estimate of the number of loaves and fishes had been miscounted. Like oh. you could easily have misheard. I've only got uh, three hundred loaves and fishes. Uh, yes, and the people at the back said, "I think he said three <laughs> loaves and fishes. That's not going to feed us all." Yeah, well, there's a room for that. Anyway, so you mentioned you mentioned uh, your mother and uh, I love Lucy, which I, I think does stand the test of time. She's pretty impressive. But but it, is that when you started getting interested in comedy as a as a youngster? watching it on the television or was it rather you get to university before you decide to be a comedian? Oh no, it was much younger than that uh, and it was probably not even from watching it on TV, uh, although I did like the TV comedians I watched and loved were uh, Jasper Carrot had his oh, right. own TV show yeah. um, obviously Dave Allen yeah. um, Billy Connolly and Mike Harding is one that people tend oh, right. to overlook. Yeah, we always think of as a singer, don't we? As a sort of comic song sometimes. But yes, he was, uh, yeah, big. Well, I, I remember distinctly Mike Harding, he had his own TV show and on one episode he he held the record for telling the longest joke ever told on television. Oh, right. And he, what he was doing was the same, same sort of thing that Billy Connolly used to do and that he came from the folk circuit. Yes. And used to tell jokes in between songs and then the jokes sort of began to expand. But he would do the exact same thing as Billy Connolly in that he would tell an old joke. Yeah. But then intersperse that old joke with his own original observations. Sure. 
And so he told a joke about it. It started. I it started. I hate budgies. And the punchline was, well, this one's eating me crisps. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's everywhere in between in the story it was told. He just it was it was just full of digressions. But yeah. it basically became a joke that was that was 25 minutes long and filled yeah. the entire half hour show. Uh, and I, I I just loved it. So um, so you anyway. you saw that and thought. Uh, that's great. I could do that. Or? I didn't think I could do that. No, but I'm just saying that was definitely a a formative yes. experience. That and listening to Billy Connolly albums. Yeah, my brother had a Billy Connolly album, and I remember sitting around at home with my dad listening to an actual vinyl LP of Billy Connolly, and probably being too young to get all of it. Yeah, but uh, watching my dad laughing at it. Yeah, and and thinking this. Certainly at that, from a very young age, recognizing it as a viable, as, as, an, as an amazing thing, not necessarily as a thing that I would necessarily go on to do. But when, when did you get going with? with it was in, just after I dropped out of university mm-hmm. and I was I had worked in the student union for a bit and I was the I was the I was in charge of the entertainments for the university in charge of the of, for the student union I was in charge of the services side of things yeah uh, and so I, I used to have to make speeches occasionally I would uh, I would often host the karaoke's and pub quizzes and stuff like that so I got a feel for getting up in, and, and talking in front of people and then I ended up being asked to go and help out at freshers welcomes and things like that at other university student yeah. unions and then I started doing things like hosting blind dates at sort of Freshers' Weeks and things like that, you know, as in Stella Black's Blind yeah. Date as in the TV show, you know, playing host on those. And I just got a bit of a name for myself doing that. Yeah. But I, it was a while before I finally decided to purchase a dictaphone and start remembering what you'd th- said. funny things I'd said yeah. and trying to turn them into actual stand-up did, comedy. That did, was did people end say of 93. To you this, did people say to you, Ed, you should, you should be a comedian. You know, you're, you're funny in introducing the whatever yeah. Freshers' Week thing is or uh, the blind date stuff. You uh, Or did you just quietly sit to yourself, there's a career here. I can see these other guys going around the country. I no, I, I, I thought I could maybe be a game show host, something yeah. like that. I thought that would be the thing, but oh, it was Mon- a couple of people. Bob Monkhouse, something like that? Well, well, he obviously was. A, a, I mean, Bob Monkhouse was an amazing comedy writer and comedian as well. But I, I thought, I, I thought maybe I didn't think I was, I was, I had that ability. I mm. until it was actually it was a guy I used to work with called Chris Stewart, yeah. who was determined I should become a stand-up comic, right. and he used to actually write down funny things I'd said in meetings in the student union, yeah. and then present them to me at like the end of the week. Oh, brilliant. and I had forgotten them, and I'd read. I go, "That's funny. Where, where did where where are these from?" He goes, you said these things. So you you, were, you had your own Boswell to write down uh, your, yeah. your your witnesses. Like a biographer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How fantastic! Or a chronicler, even. You know, yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah, and it was seeing it was hearing them back, having not just said them, I was able to sort of evaluate them more objectively and go, oh, that is quite a funny thing to say. Um, I wish I'd so said that. Oh, yeah. I did say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so horticulture in uh, Strathclyde University in Glasgow. How long did you last? Um, I dropped out during second year. I pretty much got through first year on what I learned at school. <laughs> I managed to pass enough exams to get into second year. Yeah. And but I still had a couple of resets to do. Organic chemistry was my big oh, fall yes. down. I just could never get to grips with it. How blessed are the sorrowful. They shall find consolation. How blessed are those of gentle spirit. 
They shall have the earth for their possession. How blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see right prevail. They shall be satisfied. How blessed are those whose hearts are pure. They shall see God. Speak up! Quiet, Mum. Well, I can't hear a thing. Let's go to stoning. You can go to a stoning any time. Your your next wonder is related mm. to horticulture. Uh, um, yeah. It's the Forest Master Garden Shredder uh, yeah. is your next wonder. So I, I've a fairly good idea what a shredder is. I've I've owned one of these myself. It's a noisy bit of kit you have in your garden, mm-hmm. or I don't know what you've got, fields and fields, and you shove uh, branches down it, and it chews it up into um, into nice little into pellet, mulch, mulch, or yeah. pellet, pellets of little bit of wood. Or it does that until it gets jammed because you put a yeah. branches is just too big or too many of them, and then you spend twenty minutes unjamming it and not yeah. ch- chopping your fingers off, and you start again to the annoyance of your neighbours with this fantastically noisy thing. This is yeah, one of noisy. your wonders of the world. I love it. I yeah. love it. I had an I had an electric one. Yeah, and it served me well for a long time. And shout out to Bosch because your uh, yeah. your your garden shed is pretty, for an electric one, yeah. pretty good. But yeah, as you say, you're in, if you're attacking a hedge, you find that the the thing that takes the 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 takes it really eats up the time is then trying to shred it. Yeah, because you don't want to burn it. It's not good for the environment. You want to mulch it and then put it back into the garden again. Yeah. Uh, and then I I got a a petrol driven shredder. And it just makes mincemeat of anything you throw into it. Yeah. There's an episode of uh, there's an episode of Malcolm in the Middle where yeah. they hire one of these. Oh, a really big one though, yeah. and then they just start looking for stuff to throw into it. <laughs> and you can definitely see the uh, the appeal of of doing that. You're absolutely right. They do get gummed up, particularly if you're putting in stuff that's wet. If you're yes. dealing with branches that have got a lot of leaves on them and it's been raining, they can get gummed up quite quickly. But the way that, and I think maybe it's because I went from one that chopped things up quite coarsely mm. and would only ever really be used for sort of putting as, as a mulching a, a garden where, you, where you're putting a layer of stuff over the top yeah. to keep down weeds, as opposed to this. This chops it up so fine, you could make bedding for your chickens out of it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I have chickens as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so so that the, the, when I first just fed it in, I went, and yeah. I went, oh my God, where have you been all my life? <laughs> so, <And> I, I, <laughs> so this is your life now. Uh, when you're not touring around the country, entertaining people in big cities and big big halls as big as you can find. Um, you're at home chopping, mulching, uh, yeah. gardening, r- relating to this horticultural interest you've you had from way back. Yeah, and again, in the same way that I couldn't really pick one item of outdoor gear. I mean, this discussing the Forest Master Garden Shredder, it's a gateway to the, the, the general world of 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 power tools <laughs> that, that and, and hand tools that basically can turn wood into whatever you want wood to be, whether it's taking it from a tree that's just not, that's or a bush that's too big and is in the way and turning that into compost or taking a log and turning it into some shelves. Uh, I, I, I do quite enjoy 
changing wood into an I'm very I'm not good at it. I have no carpentry knowledge or skills, but it's something that I have come to and I've been doing a fair bit uh, during the lockdown as well. And I do I it's I got in I got a hankering for buying tools right at the time my income was absolutely slashed, which is a cruel, cruel thing to do to a man. Now that you now that I've been given the time to to buy a table saw it's it's become a frivolous expense I can't really afford. <laughs> but, you, but you've obviously developed this. So you start with a tree, perhaps. You've probably got a chainsaw to chop it down. I have a chainsaw. I have two chainsaws. Of course you have. <laughs> then you cut the, 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 the limbs off, the branches, the twigs. Mm-hmm. You shove the smaller ones or the medium-sized ones through your garden shredder. You've yep. got a saw to chop it up. You Do you turn the wood as well to make it into poles and things? It's that- funny that when you say you do, you like a bit of carpentry, you like a bit of woodwork, one of the first things people say is, so do you have a lathe? Yeah. Like that's the thing a man is supposed to have. Yeah. Wood. I've never, I haven't gotten into wood turning. No. I do have um, what's called a, oh God, what is the, I've got what's called a milling arm, which is the thing that you attach to your chainsaw so that rather than cutting a, 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 a trunk into logs, yeah. you can cut it lengthways into ah. planks. All oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. that's quite a cool thing to have. So this is an actually a bit beyond horticulture. This is. Uh, do you ever plant trees? I'm just worried that you're working your way through the the natural forested area of Essex <laughs> where you live, and you're going to leave a desert. So I hope you are planting no, no, trees I, behind you. I plant apple trees as well. I plant I plant, plant fruit trees. Yes, yeah. and uh, and 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 I've taken down some some blackthorn ones. Blackthorn wood is very hard to work, but blackthorn wood oh, yeah. is very good for smoking meat. Oh. Which is a whole other thing we could have gotten into. Yeah. <laughs> well, one last thing I was asking about this sort of garden equipment is that mm. uh, does it give? I always gives me new respect to people who grow things commercially, whether it's yeah. tomatoes or apples or other. Because if you start trying to improve your tree or your plants, mm-hmm. the time you've bought some feed and a, yeah. some something to chop up the ground around it or to chop the tree, it's a huge amount of expense. And you might yes. get in a good year, a glut year, mounds yeah. and mounds of apples, let's say, but the amount of st- money you've spent on it uh, means you're, you're doing everything at a loss. How do they make it a profit out of producing uh, uh, you this know, stuff? Commercial horticulture is... Uh, 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 an amazing thing to study anyway and I was toying with going into commercial horror and that thing yeah. of the yields that you can get yeah. and, and the mathematics you have to go into to try and figure out exactly how much feed you should do how much money you should spend on this that and the other yeah. to make it profitable at the other end absolutely I don't even want to think about how much money the the meagre crop of potatoes and parsnips and t- tomatoes I got out of out of my garden this year, I just yeah. don't even want to consider it. But I'm going hard on onions and garlic this year because all right, I I, I grew some pretty good ones. I even have to say so myself. I'm sure, I'm sure you did. <laughs> they are quite easily bought and quite low prices. That's in the shops. Just, it's no, just not the same. They taste better. They taste better if you grow them oh, yourself. Oh, I, I don't even don't even know about that. But it's just not the same. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Abroad in Japan is the Stack Podcast that brings you a taste of life in Japan. Recently, Chris Broad was joined by NHK contributor and legendary video game streamer Pete for a chat about his life as a TEFL teacher. I one time taught a woman who was still pregnant, and I had to teach her stomach. What? Yes, and so... Wait, wait, what? She came in, seven months pregnant, <laughs> and they were like, no, she wants you to just to talk to her stomach. <laughs> so I was sitting there giving instruction. Very specifically. No. She held her tummy, and she said, I think he's getting it. And I thought, oh, oh dear God. Just bizarre. Search abroad in Japan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. New episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Let's go into a bit more show business with your next um, wonder of the world, um, which is the film Groundhog Day. Yeah. Now, why is this a wonder of the world? It's a good film. I think most people who've seen it would agree. But uh, why is it a wonder of the world as far as you're concerned? I think it's... Do you know what? I think it's, I mean, I th- when I saw the film, I thought it was fantastic. Enjoyed it. And it was one of those films that just, maybe the age I was when I watched it, I felt it delivered on every level. Yeah. It was an amazing premise. Mm. It was original. Bill Murray was hilarious in it. But it also just did everything you would, you would like if somebody said, this is the idea and this is what's going to happen, you go, oh, I, oh, I hope this happens. Yeah. Oh, it does. You know? <laughs> and then, it, but then more and more and more. And, f- and then even when it becomes more emotional and the message sort of starts to kick in, the comedy doesn't let up. Yeah. And it, it, it you just watch it and go, I just think it's a, it's a perfect film. Yeah. It just delivers on every level. But I think what's, what's particularly striking about it is the fact that it it took a while, but it has now become virtually its own genre of movie. Yes. Its own genre of storytelling. In that the first time somebody did a Groundhog Day style story where somebody has to live through the same thing again and again, it would be so hard for it not to, you know, draw comparisons or be accused mm. of it being a ripoff. Yeah. But now in time it has become an established genre of storytelling yeah. of movie make there you know there's an episode of the x-files that's that's just like it where yeah. Mulder is foiling a bank robbery and realizes he's living it again and again mm. there's the films source code uh edge of tomorrow palm springs yeah. there's a uh, uh, what's the name of it uh, boss level is a is a new one now oh, and right. it, it, you're not even going 
oh, you're just ripping off Groundhog Day. They go, oh, oh, another yeah. another Groundhog Day style movie. Well, oh, I like those. Well, it's entered the language, hasn't it? Day. Yeah. That is, well, it's shorthand. It's just hand for saying, oh, this is a Groundhog Day. I'm having to repeat even minor things. Well, so, certainly, yeah. yes. I mean, yeah. it entered common vernacular to describe something that was monotonous. And yet yeah. that was amazing that it did that. But it's the fact that it has created its own genre of art yes. is not to be sniffed at. That, I'm sure there's people who are listening to this who are going, actually, I think you'll find that before Groundhog Day, there was... Yeah, yeah. But uh, it was the first one I was aware of. It, and, it, cause, you know, I, I was thinking about this, and it's an interesting thing. I was listening to a documentary about the last time something like this revolutionized storytelling was probably H.G. Wells' Time Machine. Yes. Because do you, do you know that before the Time Machine, the, the concept of time travel just didn't really oh, exist he, he even in science it. fiction. Yeah. 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 And you just, Mind you, he might have gone back in time to have got yeah, some previous story. But yeah. It, it's, when you think it's, it's something we're so used to as a, as, a, mm. as a science fiction concept, to think that it has only been around for a relatively short time in the way that the concept of being given superpowers or the ability to fly or the ability to read minds or the concept of going into space or of aliens coming or anything like that, or, you know, people from other worlds entering ours or ghosts or anything like this or everlasting life. All these sort of notions have been with us since the days of legend and and, and prehistory. The idea of time travel is something that we've come up with really quite recently. And, and apparently the reason for it is that we, we've only since the sort of industrial revolution had the idea of our children's lives being different, of them growing up in a world different to ours yeah. has, has come about. That 300 years ago, if you were a farmer working the land, that's because your dad was and your dad yeah. before that. So going, and your back son in, will be in. going back in time would just take you back would to, just be, to the yeah. same thing. Yeah. You, there was yeah. no, oh, I wonder yeah. what things will be like in yeah. the future. Wasn't the question people really asked themselves. I found that, I, I'm digressing wildly. No, no, that's but fine. But I, I find that a really interesting um, thing. The thing that strikes me about films where you, you have these magical things that go on, almost always the protagonist, assuming he's a man, always wants to use his special powers in order to get the girl. So Groundhog yeah. Day, he spends, and it, uh, I think somebody's estimate he might have had to spend 34 years there, is just so he can uh, eventually get a good relationship going with Andy McDowell playing. He, that, that's that's you know, one of his main aims in achievement. It is in, one of his main aims, but yeah. the, it is... The, what the, the the nice message, he starts off just trying to get her into bed. Yeah. And then, and obviously that doesn't work. That doesn't save him. No. And then it's actually by being a good person and and him, in inverted commas, getting the girl is merely a side effect of the fact that he's now a decent human being. But people have discussed how long he must have spent in there. Yeah. And there's very, I mean, some people say it was hundreds of years. <laughs> like that you, if you actually think about how much time, first of all, how much time he spent just mucking around, but the amount of things that he's, the skills he developed, yeah, you know, virtuoso piano playing, plus <laughs> the ice sculpture. Plus, you know, if you think about how long it took the Beatles to, to become good at their instruments, yeah. you know, that whole, that whole 10,000 hours. He, he had to do several 10,000 hours on his various yeah. achievements. Well, I, well, I'm just pursuing my thought because in God Almighty, uh, Jim Carrey becomes uh, God for a while. Mm. And that, and he essentially just wants to, um, to get into a relationship with Jennifer Aniston uh, about time. Uh, Richard Curtis wrote a film and that again, being able to g- go back in time again, was used to repeat 
sort of love life. So maybe that's just a function of what Hollywood films are like. But is, is this the, yeah, only, well, even, is the only thing we want to use our superpowers for is to get well, that girl H- next door? Sorry. Yeah. Well, even H.G. Yeah. Wells' time machine, like he invented the time machine because his wife got run over by a, a yeah. horse and carriage, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. And so he, it was the time he just wanted to invent the time machine to go back and save his wife. Yeah. Now, admittedly, that's a more noble achievement yeah. than just trying to get her into bed. But it, it was still it was still about a girl. Sure. There's not so many films about going back in time to to assassinate Adolf Hitler in 1935 before most of the damage can be done. All right. So, but but Groundhog Day, above all other films and above all other things, you have as a wonder of the world. So that's. uh, that's Yeah. I just think, as I say, the the idea of of a single film becoming its own genre of movie is in our lifetime is is an achievement. I should take my hat off too. Now, then, your next wonder is uh, a mountain. So tell us about that. Yeah, I struggled with this. I, I, I was thinking the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Because, but you mentioned the Grand Canyon in the opening of the podcast. Yes. So it just seems cheap to then suggest the Grand Canyon. Even well, though oddly, spent- enough, oddly enough, Sir, Sir Trevor MacDonald, the distinguished uh, newsreader, the Grand Canyon was one of his wonders of the world. And I, I noted at the time, it's, that was the first time anybody had picked up on one of the things mentioned in my opening. But So you shouldn't have been put off by that. I mean, have you climbed Mont Blanc? Have you been to the Grand Canyon? Are these places you've visited or want to visit? I have. I have been to both. Mm. I've been to the Grand. I've. I have. I've been on a rafting trip through the Grand Canyon. Yeah, it was just over two weeks long, and that was amazing. Although you never really get the full grandeur of the Grand Canyon from inside the Grand Canyon. It's probably yeah. the worst view of the Grand Canyon you could possibly have. Yeah, is to negotiate down the Colorado Colorado River that flows through it. So, is there a high point you should go to first to sort of look at it and then say, "Oh my God, I got to go mm. down there on that little bit of river that I can hardly see." Well, I've also I've also taken a helicopter trip from Vegas yeah. in, into the Grand Canyon, so that you get a proper view there. I've never stood on the rim and looked at it. No, we've. We've slightly distracted a little. I've distracted anyway, yes. away from Mont Blanc, which is the mountain. Yes. Uh, I have I have climbed Mont Blanc, but it remains a bit of a white whale for me because I, I have yet to go all the way from the bottom to the top unaided. Yeah. Because the first time I did it, I was with two other comedians, Craig Campbell and Dave Fulton, who are both very into mountains. And and I was quite early in my hill walking or, you know, outdoorsy career. But uh, we... We got to the top and we shouldn't have even continued. We shouldn't have done it. We It, it was a raging storm. Yeah. If we'd been with a guide, he, he, they'd have made us turn back. Yes. But we were hammerheads and we, we, we carried on and we did get to the top and there was and, and we were the last people to get to the top. Nobody else try, even tried mm. uh, because it was a raging storm. And so then you, on the, you could have been a story. You could have been, you know, quite, third item on possible. the news. Three top British and Irish comedians <laughs> yeah. lost on Mont Blanc. They were yeah. mad, says They were mad, says the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was ill-advised, but we got there. And we, um, uh, but then I remember coming back down, feeling almost like my backpack being lifted off, all of the straps loosened by the wind uh, and I and we'd run out of I hadn't run out of water but the water I had had frozen oh. and the, the other two had run out of water they were they were both and they'll say they weren't they were both hallucinating huts that weren't there oh wow they kept going oh there's there's the hut it's just in there you see it yeah. and then 
And I'm going, no. And then we'd get close and we'd go, oh, no, there's no hut there. I'm going, no, yeah. there's, there's not. Yeah. And we, we, were in, we were in trouble. Mm. And it, what's amazing that we did, we finally made it back to the, 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 a place called the Gutier Hut, which is this mountain refuge, and, and we were all right. But what's incredible is when you're that high and you, the, you, you know, the oxygen deprivation is a factor, you're not, you, yeah. you know, you're not taking tanks or anything like that, but you really do become quite exhausted quite quickly because of the, the air being quite thin and you can get altitude sickness. And it, it, it was quite hairy. And I, I, I composed a letter to my unborn, unconceived children, oh. you know, because I thought this could be it. And then you, you get back to a hut and you go, oh my God, we're alive. We're going to be okay. And the guy who works there just does not care what you have been through. <laughs> it just completely just opens the door. We are not doing hot food. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. Just, just some water. We're just safe. <laughs> oh, and, so uh, that then, is a, that is an awesome uh, yeah. thing to have done, and uh, that makes you love the mountain, respect yes. the mountain. Did you but hate then, it? No, and then, but then the thing is, so we got in. In, and we were all really rattled by it and we were all just felt really beaten and then we thought and then we and we still had a long way to go to get down yeah and then it, one of them suggested because they were friends with somebody who worked in in mountain rescue said we couldn't just i can just call them they're on sort of maneuver they're on they're they're on there what's the word training yeah and they could they could just come and get they could chopper us if we if we wanted if we give them a couple of hundred quid they'll, yeah. they'll chopper us down and we went we were all so exhausted and we you know what let's do it yeah so we called them and they said and we you know explained the situation they said yeah but it, the weather's too bad we can't get you from where you are you need to come down still a few hundred meters right so we did and by the time we gone down that few hundred meters we were all like, oh man, we could just do this. We could just get get ourselves home. But by yeah. then the call had been made, so we got choppered off. So I never got all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom again oh. under my own steam. All right. Well, and it I, still sounds pretty exciting. So you, mm. you go hill walking or mountaineering in Scotland and going up Munros? Is that? Yeah. Stuff? Now those are. That's my I th- thing. I think they're 3,000 feet tall, yes. Munros. But Mont Blanc is much bigger than that. Is it, is it 15,000, 16? thousand feet so that's yes, a lot just, taller than, than scotland yes mm. yeah so it is you you are it's it's uh i think it's th- is it three ben nevises piled on top of each other yeah be something like that wouldn't it something yeah. like that so it is um it's it, it, it it's it, you reach a point where altitude becomes becomes a factor yeah and and it's amazing how quickly you just become completely exhausted and then you rest and go Oh, I'm all right again. Mm. You know, it's uh, you. You really need to just slow your pace yeah. right down. Well, I hope you're um, nicely wrapped up in plenty of Gore-Tex and had, <laughs> had and those camshafts or whatever it is you hammer into mountains. Some 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 spring-loaded cams. Yeah. No, the, there is there they they have there's Via Ferrata they're called, which is um, there's a Via Ferrata which is like an iron steel cable yeah. that you can that you clip onto to stop you from falling off the mountain at a couple of points. All right, that's handy for handy for you climbers. But when you're doing Munro's in Scotland, is that more like hill walking or yes, are, are that's you very much just a hike. scrambling yeah. scrambling up? Oh, there's some scrambling yeah. as well. And yes, one can do proper rock climbing as well. Yeah. I, I tend to eschew it. Oh. Um, but yes, there's some lovely lovely scrambling in the Scottish Highlands yeah. and and I cannot wait to get 
back to doing them. So it's kind of a contrast because comedy, in a sense, is quite an urban thing. It's a it's yeah. with crowds of people yeah. with drinks, with food, with mm. with uh, taxis home, or even a, even driving yourself home. Whereas when you're out in the mountains, you uh, you're you're away from things. You're, you're lonely. You're you're solitary. Maybe. Um, no, I, yeah. I'm with you 100. Yeah. It's it's a it is quite a contrast between. The, the the two lives. Although you can, your stand up comedy can be quite a solitary pursuit, of course, yeah. As opposed to being in a band or being in a play, yeah. And so in in that way, it's it's quite similar. And I do prefer when I go hill walking, I prefer to go with one or two other people. Yeah. But it's very hard to find. There's a, there's very few people in my profession are into it, yeah. and it's very hard to find people who have you know regular jobs who are free at the same time as I'm free. Let's let's move on ourselves to your sixth uh, wonder of the world, and again we're we're back in more showbiz territory, but in the world of music with uh, Prince. Yes, um, the um, well, the well, the artist formerly known as Prince, and then latterly known as Prince again. Prince again, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so obviously a well-known songwriter, performer. Uh, I, I was something of a genius, really. But uh, yeah, but 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 why him, nonetheless? Why? Well, why of all I the possibles? When I examine it, I don't think there is a single individual who has ever lived whose creative output has given me as much joy mm. as as that man did you know and mm. i know it's not when i should be saying byron or shakespeare or yeats or something but that, yeah. they never gave me joy <laughs> they were things i had to learn at school yeah. as far as i'm concerned uh so forgive me Anyone listening to this podcast who is, who is as, as I say, used to a maybe more intellectual pursuit. But Prince was in his heyday right at the time I was just... You never get obsessed with music in the way you do when you're 15, 16. It's sure. all-encompassing and it becomes a part of your identity yeah. in a way that... If you if you if it does when you're in your forties, it just seems pathetic. You, know? <laughs> you 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 the 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 people at my children's school don't know me as a Prince fan because I don't define myself in that way. But in the way that when I when I was at school, this was important. It was to just, you. That was it was yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, people people would hear Prince and go, oh, you know who loves? Oh, he, he loves him. Yeah. You know that kind. Of, yeah. We were synonymous well people who people aren't so into prince what what would you which which of his tracks which of his albums which of his singles which of his songs he's written would you point to and say go and listen to that or that's oh, what i listened to and fell in love with i i mean for me it was purple rain yeah really i was aware of him i was aware of 1999 mm. but no, no, 1999 was a bit more of a of a pop record yeah purple rain was the one where he he crossed over into uh well, that's where he really began to reach white audiences. Where yeah. he moved, he moved more into rock, yes, stadium rock, yeah. and and that was when I discovered him. But then, having discovered him, I went back, and then was led into the more funk and and slightly punk uh, stuff that he did earlier than that. And then, through Prince, is when I really discovered all of his influences. Yeah. So Sly and the Family Stone, Jimi Hendrix. 
George Clinton, people like that. All and even just then start listening to Motown and, and Atlantic oh. Records and everything like that. All of that, all all of those doors were all open to me yeah. via. Prince. In a way that when I was growing up, everybody listened. You listened to either ska, you know, you listened to, you listened to Madness, and, and and only because you 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 were a skinhead. Basically, yeah. that was it. Wasn't really about the music, or you were into heavy metal, or you into U two. That was yeah. a U two and Simple Minds. They they were interchangeable in, in those days. But that was it. That yeah. was your musical choices. Anything else made you a weirdo? Yeah, you you were yeah. you're off on your own. Yeah. Did you find a? Do you find other Prince fans in? This is when you're still in Ireland, in, um, in so in Dublin, or would he really have come there to tour? Or uh, not until he came to Ireland very late. It wasn't until 1990 he came mm-hmm. to Parky Cueve in Cork, and it was not the best gig I ever went to. Yeah. It was a tour. It was around the sort of Batman soundtrack time. Yeah. He did a tour called the Nude Tour, and it was it was only okay. I mean, compared to the ones he'd been doing before that, the Sign of the Times tour, the Love Sexy tour, with the Purple Ranger, which were amazing. This tour was kind of a greatest hits and and it was a a lot of Batman stuff was in there. And then subsequent tours after that, you know, uh, where the Diamonds and Pearls tour, the the, the symbol, were were great again. But for some reason, that one... Was that that first time he yeah. was in Ireland? Was just like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> well, were you broken-hearted when he died? Because you know, if you have I was. A, a hero, it's a. I it was it hit me surprisingly hard for a man I never met. Mm. But it's a thing that when the people that we loved as youngsters, as teenagers, when they die, it's. It, it, I think there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it. Yeah. There's there's the reminder of your own impending mortality. There's there's a, a longing for your youth. There's a nostalgia wrapped up in the in in the person that you that you were a fan of. There's there's a yeah. lot. I think there's a lot of emotion that some people don't consider when yeah. you get that thing of of, of you know, on social media going. Why is everybody upset? Because you've never met them. Yes. David yeah, Bowie yeah. died. Yeah. You know, but, you know it's like it's I I, I kind of feel like. You just shut up. Just don't say anything. Yeah. You, you clearly don't understand. We get that you no. don't understand. Yeah. But it's uh, but all, it, it, know, it's, it's a difficult thing to explain. But in all deaths, you're you're grieving or crying about different things. You were the loss of that person, the loss of where you were when you knew them or first discovered them, that life that won't come back. Yeah. Uh, and and for their, their loved ones. You know, there's so many different things in, yeah. in any I death. Yeah. Well, when you watch a drama, when you watch a bloody Pixar movie and you start crying at the end of Coco or at the bit in... <laughs> the robot goes, goes the, off. Yeah, or the bit in Inside Out where the fantasy animal falls off the cart yeah. and goes, take her to the moon for me. You're, you're, you're not crying because a fictitious character is dead. You're crying yeah. because of what it symbolizes in your own life and, okay. you know... So yeah, it's 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 it is a complicated set of emotions that get you, you get you get wrapped up in. We were at a, a very good place musically. Right today, I could, I feel like I could uh, put together something equally as interesting, and it would be as successful if the right people are getting paid. You know that may sound strange, but th- this is a business, and when people are involved in it, you have successes. You know, and I understand that, and um, I knew there would be times where records wouldn't sell as much when I got away from those particular people. But I was cool with that because success pretty much is 
what you make it to be. So you're saying then you do need the suits, so to speak? It depends it, it, on what you gauge success to be. So Prince, he, he's there as one of your wonders. Nothing compares to him. And so we go into your final wonder of the world. <laughs> yeah, I really ran out of road here. <laughs> no, you, no, you didn't. You've you've come to a, a, a fine one that makes sense. This is this is a, yeah. rash, a rational one. This is not awe yeah. and wonder. But uh, no. what is your what is your wonder of the world? My seventh wonder of the world is painkillers, because <laughs> I was hung over when I was making this list. <laughs> And you reached, you reached for some paracetamol or whatever I, your painkiller of choice. I suddenly realised that, yes, by the time I reached the end of the list, I was actually feeling better than I did when I was making the start of the list <laughs> because the neurofen I'd taken had yeah. kicked in. And what I also, I've already realised since looking back, since just before sitting down, that that my seventh wonder was the thing that killed my sixth wonder. Yes. <laughs> All right. That, yes. Yeah. yeah. He, he, that was a, it was an overdose. It was an addiction to painkillers that did Prince in. Well, so I, think, I, thought, about, I thought that was a, a carefully constructed link. That you, I didn't yeah. mean it to be a segue. No. Your subconscious brain was seeing the yin and yang of things as there's good and bad yeah. and everything, even something as obviously good as painkillers. And we know they can cause all sorts of uh, troubles and uh, as yes. any drug can. But, mm. but, but I, before you get into those more philosophical yeah. thoughts on it, I mean, it is notable that, I don't know, if we're talking about time travel, you'd only have to go back maybe 100 years, certainly 200 years, to a time when people were in agony over yeah. all sorts of things, whether it's exactly. toothache or having their... Um, their foot chopped off because of gangrene or in a in wartime situation, mm -hmm. childbirth, all sorts of things were just agonizing. And yeah. they've been relieved and to a, to a great extent yeah. by painkillers of all sorts. I mean, my, my time spent dropping out of my BSc in horticulture gave me a great respect for scientists for people who are able to, even just to get a degree in it even if they don't continue to then contribute to the greater you know pool of knowledge of 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 research just getting a degree in science is a difficult thing to do it's a it's you've got a whole different ideas in your head simultaneously and and have that in order to be able to progress to the to the next level it's complicated difficult stuff and the advances we've made in medicine Obviously, across the board, and in, in, you know, there's a kid in my 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 kid's best friend wouldn't have been alive if he had got the 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 strain of cancer he'd got even twenty years ago. The cancer he had seven years ago absolutely would have killed him ten years previously. The advancements we make are are, are stunning, you know. But I do think that painkillers, just the ability to take a pill. And the headache that you had or the toothache that you had or the, the pain that you've got in your back goes away for long enough for you to be able to do the thing you do or just goes away. Just Sometimes it goes away and doesn't come back because it was only a temporary thing anyway. I just think our ability to be able to ease our own pain is is a wonderful thing. And I, th I think the amount of, I almost went for Alka-Seltzer as a specific thing because of the amount of times I have felt like dog shit, popped a couple of Alka-Seltzers and just been, right, now I can take on the day. You don't have to put product placement in all of your I wonders. I think it's it's fair enough to use the generic terms. But Yeah. Um, I do remember reading a story of going back to the whole outdoorsy thing of uh, a guy forced to drink his own urine having been, you know, stranded outside and remarking 
on the fact that his urine, he could taste the paracetamol in it. All right. <laughs> I remember thinking, well, you... You really did. You didn't hold your nose while you were drinking it. You, the idea that you drink it and, and not just drink it, but go, yeah, hmm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting paracetamol there. Is, is this good? Is this good advice you're giving us as a man of the outdoors that that you can yeah. drink your own urine will keep you? Like, did you do that when you were on? Mont I've never Blanc? had to do that. Yeah. and if I did, I'd put uh, it through me life straw, wouldn't I? Yeah, Mont Jaune, as it became, as you're all trying to drink your own urine without a without a she wee between you. Uh, <laughs> It was uh, all right. So I think I think although you you're sort of downplaying it, but I think that is a very sensible thing because we often fantasize in conversation or in imagined time travel or what it'd been like to be in Iran with uh, Jane Austen or the time of the Roman Empire. But all periods of history uh, featured much more pain, illness, disease, mm. trouble than we have to put up with, and you know. Our- you know, mostly we we get through our childhood and stay alive and live fulfilled lives in a way that previous generations just didn't have. Yeah, and it makes it does actually make me angry at the people who refuse to accept or trust modern medicine. Yeah. I appreciate that major pharmaceutical companies are not necessarily benign entities yes. who are just here for our well being, but people who who refuse to accept. The the amazing scientific advancements we have made, you're really missing out. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your uh, seven wonders. Ed, as my natural reaction when I, from uh, doing uh, chat shows on uh, TV and radio, I, w- I will just mention your current work. And I've got a piece of paper that says Ed Byrne, if I'm honest, which is your tour. But uh, my bit of paper doesn't say where you're going. It's just page, oh, it goes everywhere. A, a whole page of uh, fabulous quotes about how marvellous you are, uh, culled from, I don't know, 30 years of remarks, or maybe just from your last tour, or maybe for the one performance you were able to do of this before it was all shot. <laughs> Down, but uh, anyway, you are apparently at the top of your game. A hysterical, a must-see show, the, a master of observational comedy. And oh yeah, that's definitely a collection <laughs> from across the years, right there. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on this. I'm. Uh, I've set myself a task. I should select a wonder of wonders from your uh, from your list, and I should have been concentrating as as we went through. Um, I'll, I'll give you some time. We can uh, cut yes, this bit out. Yeah, I think uh, that in the context of you as a comedian, I think, uh, and it's an unusual thing to select, but I, I think a modern means of amplification, which I doubt is going to crop up by anybody else's wonders, but I think that really captures, uh, I haven't really thought this through at all, that is uh, an almost an essential tool for doing yeah. the sort of comedy that you and, and let's let's face it, hundreds sure. of other people. A do. lot of other people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm. I, it's been around too long for me to ever be a trailblazer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to. Um, I, I have. I have to choose your wonder of wonders. Well, this is seven. The one which struck me as the the one we should go is is modern beads of amplification. I like that. Thank you very much, Ed Byrne. If you enjoyed listening to My Seven Wonders, it would be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform, site or provider you found us on. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Ed Byrne. Cheers, Clive. Thank you.
My Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stack production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the Acast Creator Network.